0: Our podcast reviews well-known movies and contains spoilers. The podcast may contain mature subject matter and mature language. Listener discretion is advised. Enjoy the show.
1: Christmas. it is time once again for the hooked on movies podcast today we are looking at the classic christmas musical from 1954 white christmas with me as always are ted
2: how can a guy that ugly have the nerve to have sisters
0: and ken last night she couldn't sleep today she won't eat she's in love
2: and i'm eric
1: miss haynes if you're ever under a falling building and somebody runs up and offers to pick you up and carry you to safety. Don't think, don't pause, don't hesitate for a moment, just spit in his eye. That's right. Thank you. We're talking White Christmas. Ken, give us a synopsis
0: of uh, White Christmas. Singers Bob Wallace and Phil Davis join sister act Betty and Judy Haynes to perform a Christmas show in Vermont. General Wavery, the boys' commander in World War II. Who they have learned is having financial difficulties. His quaint country inn is failing. So, what's the force him to do but plan a Yuletide miracle, a fun filled musical extravaganza that's sure to put Waverly and his business back in the black?
1: Well, let's talk about the first time we saw this movie. I'll uh, kick it off. I saw this movie right around 2000, uh, right after the millennium. So, really? with a, uh, yeah, I know, right? That's how, I, that's how I remember seeing the movie. I uh, saw it with a girlfriend of mine at the time. Uh, we watched White Christmas, and uh, I loved it. I don't think she did, though, but that's here nor there. How about you, Ken? Cable? cable.
0: Most likely Cable, but uh-huh. I don't know roughly what time. It was as a kid with, with my parents. Ted,
1: pretty no. confident you did not see this in the theater.
2: I've had the opportunity to see it at the theater because the music box in downtown Chicago plays a double feature of White Christmas and um, It's a Wonderful Life together. They play Um, some
1: great movies down there.
2: Oh, they do. That's an absolutely wonderful theater. It's actually my favorite theater. No, this movie's always been there for me. It's from when I was a little kid. My mom and dad loved the movie. So I can't actually tell you when the first time I actually seen it, when we got our VCR as a kid. This was one of like the first movies that we got, too. My mom and dad just always loved the movie. It, it reminds me of them. And then, of course, this is one of my wife's favorite movies, too. So we watch it at least twice a year uh, during the holiday season. You know, season. It being
1: the, the Christmas season, it is kind of like, oh, like It's a Wonderful Life. It's yeah. always been around. You, you can't pinpoint when you really saw it, but it's always been there. Right, it's always right. shown it's, on television. It's it's all over the place. So yeah,
2: it's and it's a easy watch. So you know, it's it is one of those things They're you can easy. turn it on.
1: Good roll in there, Ted. Well, tell us about <laughs> uh, the particulars of this movie.
2: All right, so White Christmas is directed by Michael Curtis. People might remember that Michael Curtis also directed Casablanca, one of our previous episodes.
1: I believe Ken's um, favorite movie of all time.
2: Yeah, yes. and and my that. number one movie too. White Christmas was a screenplay written by Norman Krasna, Norman Panama, and Melvin Frank. It has a running time of 120 minutes. It was released October 14th, 1954. It had a budget of $2 million and a box office gross of $30 million. You know, before we go to who it stars, it was released on October 14th. That's kind of odd that they would release a Christmas movie before the Christmas season, like during Halloween season. I was going to say, it's a Halloween movie. Yeah, maybe. All right, so White Christmas stars Ben Crosby as Bob Wallace. Danny Kaye as Phil Davis. Rosemary Clooney as Betty Haynes. Vera Ellen as Judy Haynes. Dean Jagger as Major General Tom Waverly. Mary Wicks as Emma Allen. Johnny Grant as Ed Harrison. And Anne Whitfield as Susan Waverly.
1: All right. Well, thank you there. Tell us a little bit about uh, the production on this one, Ken. I'm sure it's pretty exciting.
0: Well, so Irving Berlin suggested a movie based on his song of the same name, White Christmas in 1948. Paramount put $2 million up and only took 30% of the proceeds, which the rest of it went to Irving Berlin and Crosby. Uh, Mel Frank and Norman Panama uh, were hired to add additional material for Danny Kaye. They also felt that the script needed to be rewritten. And it took about eight weeks for them to do the rewriting. Frank said it was the worst experience of his life during those eight weeks. Because they said that the original story was the lousiest story they ever heard. So they needed to, yeah, so they needed a brand new story. He said one that that made sense. And they did the job for $5,000 a week. So they made $40,000 on it. So the principal photography took place between September and December of 1953. The film was the first to be shot using Paramount's new VistaVision process with color by Technicolor. White Christmas was intended to reunite Crosby and Fred Astaire as a third Irving Berlin showcase musical because Fred Astaire and Crosby had already done Holiday Inn and uh, Blue Skies. Uh, but Astaire declined the project after reading the script. <laughs> so I guess that's a, another reason for, to do eight weeks more of a rewriting and asked to be released from his contract with Paramount. Crosby also left the project shortly thereafter to spend more time with his sons after the death of his wife. Near the end of January of 1953, Crosby did return to the project and Donald O'Connor from Singing in the Rain was signed to replace Astaire. But just before shooting began, O'Connor had to drop out due to an illness and was replaced by Danny Kaye, who asked and received a salary of two hundred thousand dollars and ten percent of the gross, and you know, which worked out extremely well for him.
2: Yeah, so, I'd say so.
0: I don't have much more about like Vera Ellen and Rosemary Clooney, except Rosemary Clooney kind of had already done some work with Crosby as far as like some shows and some you know singing duets. And I think Crosby took a, a very a good liking to her. They became friends, uh, close friends from my understanding. So that's my understanding of how she became on board. The only reason why I think that maybe Vera Allen was on board was uh, she was one of the best dancers of her time. And I feel that that's probably the reason why she was included in this movie. Couldn't sing a lick. All her songs are overdubbed, but can dance like No Tomorrow. And that's what I have for a production.
1: All right. Very cool. Well, I know this movie topped the box office in 1954. I believe it was the uh, the number one movie. So I'm assuming that the reviews are pretty good, Ted.
2: Yeah, the Rotten Tomatoes, it is a certified critic score, a certified fresh 77%, and it has an audience score of 88%. So I was able to find some both on both sides. Um, let's start with the negative critics. Returning champion Dave Kerr from the Chicago Reader, he said that the whole thing is rather forced and antiseptically cheerful. Bosley Crowther from the New York Times, that's an old-timey name, he said director Michael Curtis has made this picture look good. It is too bad that it doesn't hit the eardrums and the funny bone with equal force. Don't know what he was really looking for out of a Christmas movie. So on the po-
0: everybody dies at the end.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, on the positive side, Emma Cochran from Empire Magazine said, "Great songs, gentle humor, and a dose of syrup, which is not to everyone's taste, but worth buying to keep that Christmas spirit going until next year." Jack Moffat from the Hollywood Reporter, he said, "It will be a poor showman who can't get an audience into the theater." when he can base his sales talks upon expertly assembled and tangible box office ingredients. Mostly positive. Unfortunately, we didn't have a review from um, Roger Ebert on this one. Well, Ken,
1: it's time now for you to tell us about part one of White Christmas. Take it away.
0: On Christmas Eve in Europe in 1944, at the height of World War II, former Broadway star Captain Bob Wallace and aspiring performer Private Phil Davis entertain the 151st Division. The men have just received word that their beloved Major General Thomas Waverly has been relieved of his command. The men send him off with a rousing chorus of the old man. After Waverly departs, enemy bombers attack the area and everyone takes cover. Phil pulls Bob away from a collapsing wall and is wounded by debris. Bob asks how he can pay back Phil for saving his life, and Phil suggests that they become a dual act. After the war, the two make it big, launching a hit musical. They receive a letter supposedly from their old sergeant, Ben Frickleface Haynes, asking them to view his sister's act. They watch Betty and Judy sing at a Florida nightclub. Phil, who likes to play matchmaker, notices Bob is interested in Betty. After the performance, the four meet, and Phil and Judy immediately hit it off. Betty and Bob, however, argue about Bob's cynicism and the fact that it was actually Judy who wrote the letter instead of Ben. Finding out from Judy that the girl's landlord is falsely suing them for a damaged rug and has even has gone so far as to call the police to get his money, Phil gives them tickets he and Bob purchased to spend Christmas in New York City. Bob and Phil improvise a performance to buy the girl some time, then flee to the train where they now have to sit up in a club car, much to Bob's chagrin. That's the end of the first part of the movie. Okay.
1: So we start off the movie, in World War II. I believe probably somewhere in Europe would be my guess. They are trying to kind of celebrate the Christmas season there in between the bombs and the gunfire.
0: Kind of like a Bob Hope show about like, the girls. Yeah,
1: a little bit of a Bob Hope show. Um, Mr. Wallace is already a famous singer, well-known. He's trying to uh, kind of lead the troops in a little bit of song, a little music, a little dance behind the backdrop of some... Pretty cheesy stuff in the background, but that's okay. It's 1954;
0: we'll let it go. It's interesting because <laughs> the road, the roads up to the area that they're performing actually look kind of cool for wow. that particular, you know particular time. But then when you get to the set where they're actually performing, it yeah, it looks pretty. I cool. you know it's yeah. kind of
1: funny too because a typical Hollywood set. With movies that were made, you know, prior to this in black and white, the sets really didn't stand out as much. But when you start throwing in color, it's kind of like when you're watching something in 4K that's, uh, you know, 20 or 30 years old and you're looking at the special effects, they really start to show their age on it.
2: Yeah, you can tell that there's a lot of paintings in the background. And it's a painted set. Typical of the era. It's interesting that they put them in a forward area like that. You know, there were famous people that would have been like what Ben Crosby's playing here, Bob Wallace, that did serve in the military during World War II and I guess would have done that. But big star, big superstars like Sinatra and he didn't uh, serve in the war, but he cut an insane amount of 45s that were given out to the troops uh, for morale purposes. So it's kind of interesting. But yeah, it's interesting that they did that while there's the threat of being bombed. You know, it's it's a good way to start the movie. I think it establishes a decent relationship between Danny Kay and, and Ben Crosby.
0: Looking at Ben Crosby here and Danny Kay, it's very interesting, the, their combination. Right here, they're doing a nice little musical act. Danny Kay's character, uh, Phil, saves uh, Bob from a wall collapsing on top of him. And of course, that's kind of like the ongoing joke for the rest of the movie, like if somebody right, ever right. if a wall falls upon you, don't let somebody save you, right? It's interesting how the general is portrayed as being, I guess, the sky that they would go to the ends of the earth for. We kind of see that with them, but I, I, I don't get that from the general himself, except for the fact that he sends the other general uh off on a goose chase. You know, right, so right. you know, to buy his guy some time for Christmas. This is Christmas Eve. How dare the troops celebrate Christmas in a wartime? If you look at it the other general might be right. Are getting bombed.
2: Yeah, that's what I was saying. It's kind of yeah. It's kind of odd that you know it'd be in a forward area like that, but they do say that they are being shipped to the front. So maybe it's not as close to the front as what uh Maybe we're they let just let didn't let think let it leave.
0: was. Maybe they didn't think the bombing would be that close. Right off the bat, we get to hear some White Christmas. That song was released years beforehand. I want to say like five or six years, maybe a tad a little bit more.
2: Oh, well, um, it originally debuted in Holiday Inn. That's when the Irving Berlin song was actually debuted. An interesting fact, it's technically described as a musical. There has never been a actual soundtrack released for this movie. Because Rosemary Clooney was actually signed to a different label they wouldn't let anything of hers be released on a different label. Usually when you're on a, like a musical set like this, the soundtrack is usually one of the biggest things that comes out of the movie. And it's just kind of weird that, you know, this would never have been released on, on an LP back in the day when LPs were huge.
0: Yeah.
2: And it's, it's never even been released. There was something released like kind of underground in England Yeah, there wasn't an
0: official release of the soundtrack, but there is two soundtracks out there, one with Rosemary Clooney singing like eight songs from the album, and then the Mm -hmm. original cast on the other side, without Rosemary Clooney, they had to get somebody else to fill in her parts to sing her parts. So there there is two, but they're not official because of the fact, like you said, Rosemary Clooney couldn't be involved with the original cast.
2: She took her part because she wanted to perform with Ben Crosby. You know, and they did end up cutting duet records later uh, together. And I believe she probably appeared on his variety show that he he had later on, too. She's a wonderful singer.
0: And she was, I think, the last um, cast member of the four to pass away. And she's also the aunt of uh, George Clooney. A major
2: influence on him as well, he says. In fact,
0: she has her own little museum in her hometown. Maybe one day I'll pop by and see it if it's still around. We're talking about the music right off the bat. Might as well hit a few things on here about it. So we got The White Christmas and The Old Man, which The Old Man is not, as far as I know, is not a old song. Um, no. I kind of like this because it sounds like an army song. But, yeah, you know. it
2: does. Music here it really is one of the main attractions. I mean, you have Ben Crosby, who, at, you know, at the time, you talk about crooners from the 50s. I mean, you're looking, Ben Crosby and Frank Sinatra and are two of the, the biggest names in show business at that particular time. And, I mean, you can't beat his baritone. It's, his baritone is, I mean, it's completely uh, unique. He really can't sing.
0: he's a a beautiful singer and at this time he's he's kind of like the number one guy i mean you say frank sinatra and that's kind of interesting because frank sinatra does do movies and sing but frank is kind of later his movies more towards the Mm -hmm. 60s bing crosby is kind of like the full thing here he's acting he's singing i mean his resume of roles that he has is incredible and that doesn't include you know the movies he's making with bob hope on the side he's like releasing movies left and right. And his his star is probably the brightest at this particular time. For sure. I mean, he, he has a lot of control here. I mean, we talked about it at the beginning about the production, him and Irving Berlin, they they took more money than Paramount did on this movie. Mm -hmm. So, and that, that means that tells you how much power Bing Crosby had.
2: At this point in time, when his name is on the marquee, it's a, certified hit. There's really hardly anybody today that you can say that has that immediate drawing power that Ben Crosby has at this point in time. It's going to be a moneymaker. So yeah, he's he's at the height of his entertainment power.
0: And then you couple that with Irving Berlin, who is the maybe the greatest musical writer, at least for musicals and things of that nature at that
2: time. I well, mean... Two guys named Rodgers and Hammerstein would probably... True, which Probably they're mentioned in arguing. the film,
0: which is yes, kind of say, uh, funny you say
2: that. They might have something to say about that, but true. But he, um, but he know. is he's he's more of a Gershwin type, in my opinion. He's another master of the craft. This is getting towards the end of Irving Berlin's height. His heyday was really the twenties and the thirties, and got people through the depression. That's like why why Holiday Inn was so popular. But
0: yeah. But white, I mean, white Christmas is probably one of the most successful songs of all time. And, yeah. And of course, he has the greatest birthday of all time. He was born on May 11th.
2: Of so, course. That's your that's,
0: birthday. That's my birthday. So, the and, day before mine. Born May 11th, 19, I mean, sorry, not 19, 1888. And he died that's September I... 22nd, 1989. 101 years old. Lived a wow. I didn't pretty know that. long life. And a very interesting life lived. That's for sure one of my favorite songs from him is blue skies but I yeah. don't like how it's used in this movie one of the songs is kind of like a medley it's called heat wave let me sing and and I'm happy and then blue skies and I I just don't like it it's like the first thing that we hear Crosby and Kay sing when they're a duel and I'm not mm-hmm. really fond of that song too much yeah. for me it's like it's a big throwaway for me I felt like there could have been something better in it or sing blue skies like how it was sung previously in in the previous movie with for the stare right so but then of course then after that we get the the sister song and i, I like sisters it's it's cute it, is it dated sure but i mean for 1950s it's it's a fun little song i really no, do like it, it.
2: and it is and i love the fact and this is a director's thing Danny Kaye was just messing and Ben Crosby were just messing around doing the song and it cracked everybody up on set. And they decided to put that in where Danny Kaye and Ben Crosby would dress up as the sisters. Rosemary Clooney said that there was two takes of them doing the song and they left the one in where Ben Crosby legitimately is laughing. It's it's very funny. It's great to
0: see that, too, because people say about Ben Crosby kind of being a serious guy. Yeah. And and to see him just lose it, Danny Kaye was like with that fan thing.
2: He just yeah, kept on but hitting him. Danny Kaye's amazing. We, I mean, we've lauded Ben Crosby as you know being at the height of his power, but Danny Kaye. Not only can he dance, he's legitimately funny. He's very good in this part. He's good in a lot of things. One of the things that can't go un- unmentioned here as well. The dancing plays a huge role in this movie, and it's why Vera Allen was uh, actually cast. But um, the choreography here is... uh, Some of it's very complex, especially the stuff with Vera Allen. It's performed amazingly. I would
0: have been interested to see Donald O'Connor, if he would have got the part instead of Danny Kaye, because I'm actually a bigger Donald O'Connor fan. I'm a big fan of singing in the rain, and I actually... Love ring well. for, for Don O'Connor because he is almost as good a dancer as Gene Kelly. Of course, he, he is. He's right there, and his comic timing is just as good as Danny Kay's. And so, sure. I'm thinking if you would have had him in this role, he could have been part of those dance numbers.
2: Oh, but, yeah, definitely. You know, he could have.
0: And that would have added to this movie. I mean, if
2: there wouldn't have been as nearly as many jazz squares. I know what a jazz square is because I was in choir in high school.
0: Right, there might not have been. But if you take Vera Ellen and Donald O'Connor dancing together, that that would have been really awesome to see.
2: It would have been dynamite, that's for sure.
0: I do like Danny Kaye's and Vera Ellen's chemistry a little bit more than, let's say, Bing Crosby and Rosemary Clooney. I don't know if it's the age difference that throws me off with Rosemary and Bing Crosby. I I liked Danny and uh, Vera's connection. It it just seemed a little bit more natural. I was buying them as a couple, even though throughout the whole movie, you know, she's trying to get her sister involved and he's trying to get his partner involved in the relationship. But it's really dumb that really had the chemistry in the movie.
2: Well, and it might be heresy, but Danny Kaye's a better actor than Ben Crosby is. Ben Crosby Crosby essentially is playing Ben Crosby. Yeah. I mean, even in my favorite Bing Crosby movie, The Bells of St. Mary's, he's still playing Bing Crosby, even though he's a priest. Danny Kaye has legitimate acting chops, and to be a comedian, you really kind of have to. So is the sheriff eating cake, or what exactly is he eating? I don't know. They say, they say he's eat, they, that the sheriff's eating them out of house and home. I like the fact that they pull a Milli Vanilli and they're lip syncing the the words to the sisters. That's pretty funny.
0: You would think with the money that they had, I mean, they had to spend a couple hundred dollars for that train, that they mm-hmm. would have just given the guy the money for the rug.
2: Right. Yeah. No. And that's what Ben Crosby says. Why don't we just pay him the money? And Danny Kay's <laughs> like, no, he's <laughs> he's trying to fleece him. <laughs> right.
0: Because he wants to get the girl, the, him right. and the girl together.
2: Right. I find it interesting that Ben Crosby wanted to spend more time with his boys. Yeah.
0: See, that's the thing. I don't think he is as bad of a dad as he's made out to be by one of his kids. Because a couple of his kids kind of disputed what the one kid said. I was reading a little bit more into it. I think one of his sisters, you know, first disagreed, but then kind of jumped on the bandwagon with him. But the other two um, kids said no. So, Eric, what, what is your opinion about? The songs that we have here in the in the first part of the movie.
1: Well, anyone who knows me knows that I am a uh, I'm a sucker for a musical. Um, I like a, a really really good musical. So the music in cats. this one, not cats.
0: No, <laughs> no. <Yeah.
1: laughs> and we're not talking Oklahoma. We're talking like Guys and Dolls and uh, you know stuff you like, like that. Dolls? I like dolls. Yes, West Side Story. And guys, guys and dolls, yes. It's not guys and guys, so it's a Seinfeld reference there for anyone who gets that. <laughs> I love the music in this. Uh, I, you know, I love uh, Bing Crosby's vocals and him having the vocal harmonization with Danny Kaye uh, and Rosemary Clooney. I think it's just a, a trio. You know, we we know uh, the one's overdubbed with her voice, but. No, I love the music. I love Sister Sisters. I love pretty much everything going up to it. I think it's very well done. Don't think we've brought this up, but the one thing also about the music and the audio is if anyone has seen the 4K version of this, the remastering of this thing is incredible. Yeah. It is without a doubt one of the best remastering jobs I've seen on any any movie of an era like this from the 1950s or 60s, you're watching this and it looks like something that was just made five years ago. It looks fresh and new. It's incredible the remastering on this. So I highly encourage you, the Blu-ray, I don't think it's a 4K yet, watch the Blu-ray version of this movie and you are going to be just blown away by the the video.
0: So Eric, what were your thoughts though then on the part where Bing and Danny Kaye um, pretend that they're sisters though? That seemed like a fun part, right?
1: It did. It was very, kind of like Some Like It Hot. It looked like they were having fun. It looked like they were, uh, you know, really just kind of hamming it up a little bit. The crowd loved it. I thought it was pretty cool. Wasn't it odd, though, that they had a record conveniently available of the song performed by both sisters? Here, let's put this record on. Okay. I always thought that was a little weird,
0: but you go with yeah. it. When you have yeah, a record it's... contract and you need you, you need the guys to kind of like right right it. and
1: here and here and here's your record. We'll just play it. You bring it along mm-hmm. with you too. Yeah, what was it? It was the sheriff and the landlord. They they tried right. to say that they dirtied up the rug and they wanted 200 bucks, you know, that old yeah. scam. Uh but 200 bucks in that era was probably 1000 bucks, give or take.
0: Well, that yeah, cost the true. tickets for the the train, so I mean, yeah. well just give them the money, but they were like, "No, yeah. we don't want to do that." So
2: yeah, those were some expensive cab tickets for the for the train. Night came, both tickets came out to ninety seven dollars or something like that. Yeah, that's got yeah. to be
0: like about like almost what eight hundred dollars, probably in this day and age. Yeah, it's would... a huge at amount. least,
2: at least. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they are going from Florida to New York, but first class on the train too. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Well,
0: not first class though, in the cup car. car well, no, oh, no, that's not the ninety-eight dollars
1: one. You can imagine what the other ones
0: ran. And I, and you got the sheriff that's just eating all the time, just being, <laughs> just being yeah. Fake. I
2: can't, I couldn't tell what he was actually eating. It kind more of more shrimp. Like, yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly.
0: <laughs> it was a nice little little comic timing there. Bob and uh, Betty are had a, just had a fight, so you needed something funny to kind of offset that fight. We're not left with a. Yeah, you know, yeah. Type of situation. I do think it's funny that uh, Phil and and Judy are are kind of like thinking that everything's going good, the way that they're like talking from a distance, and it's it's not it's not going good at all. It's kind of almost like a threes company thing. It's uh, misunderstandings throughout the whole film. Everything else, was happening? The whole film
1: so. is one giant misunderstanding,
0: right? Mm-hmm. I, I do find it interesting that uh, Phil is so desperate for this to happen that he gives away those tickets and they just jump on the train thinking that they can just get their See, own I seats. Don't,
2: I don't know about travel during that period of time. I don't know if he, if that was something that you could do is buy a, buy two tickets and sit in the club car. I guess maybe you could, but I
1: mean, I, I guess, I mean, it's a long trip, but
2: that is a long trip, but from Florida to New York in a club car. They make it out from Florida to, to New York, and they kind of make it seem like it's just a hop, skip, and a jump. And <laughs> with the club that they're at is kind of looks like that it's almost around the Keys.
1: Yeah, like Miami so, I mean, or something really far yeah, south. Yeah,
2: exactly. And going up to New York, I mean, that's on a train, that's maybe a day or so.
0: Yeah, it's hell on earth. There's no
2: price difference
0: between New York and Vermont?
2: There would be. I mean, because at the time I did read this, that – there wouldn't have been anything from Florida to Vermont. They would no. have had to have gotten off in New York, and everything taken would up. go
1: through Grand Central
0: Station Station, right yeah, okay. makes sense. Should we go on to part two now?
1: Yeah, let's we've... go on to part two, Ken
0: all right, Part two. The girls convince Phil and Bob to forgo New York and spend Christmas with them in Vermont, where they are booked as performers upon arriving in Vermont. they find all the tourists have left due to no snow. They arrive at an empty Columbia Inn and are surprised to discover that General Waverly is the owner of the hotel and is on the verge of bankruptcy. Phil and Bob decide to invite some of the cast of Playing Around to Pine Tree to stage a show to draw in the guests and include Betty and Judy in the show. Betty and Bob's romance starts to bloom. Later, Bob discovers Waverly received a humiliating rejection letter to his request to rejoin the army. Bob determines to prove to the general he is not forgotten and calls up Ed Harrison, another old army buddy who now has his own variety show. Ed suggests that they put the general on the show and make a big scene of his misfortune and Bob's kindness, which would be free advertising for Bob and Phil. Bob strongly rejects the idea, but unfortunately, the housekeeper, Emma, was eavesdropping on the other phone for the first half of the conversation, and she relayed the information to Betty who becomes suddenly cold towards a baffled Bob. That's the end of part two. Okay. I think it's a fun little start off right there in the train where they're sitting down and, and talking and trying to convince Bob to go to Vermont, where I guess there's no white, where's there's no black people in Vermont. Anyway. There still is no black people in Vermont, from what me and Eric Force. What were. does that
2: have to, <laughs> that, that that is have confirmed. to do with the <laughs> <laughs> what what does does that? Have
0: that? Have <laughs> I just edit that out, but I just thought, oh. I really thought it was interesting. There was no... no well, was...
1: It, is, it is white Christmas, so... I mean, holy
2: crap, dude. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Ni-
1: 93% white Christmas, I
2: believe, were the yeah, figures I, I pulled up. Yeah, Vermont's very white, but oh, I love it. I mean, we yeah, had like... Point what does that have to do out. with the movie? What, I mean, did... what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? Holy smokes! No, don't worry. <laughs> minorities
0: were hurt or used during the filming of this film. That's so, right. So, oh, I the black
2: it. guy was serving them drinks, the, and the That was card. the
1: one per one, the one point two percent of Vermonts exactly. is serving the drinks. <laughs> so, so that's yeah. just wrong. So
2: wrong. I know it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it, well played Ken, well played. Um, the the snow song is is pretty good. I it's not my favorite part, but um it's it's a cool little way that um uh, Danny Kaye's very funny in that section trying to get Bob to to convince him to go to, to Vermont Well, Danny Kaye's
1: though... comic chops are just
2: great. He's oh, a funny he, guy. Yeah. yeah. He's amazing here. Yeah.
0: yeah. When when Danny Kaye sings though this song with Bing Crosby, he almost sounds like Bing Crosby. I don't know if he was dubbed as well. I was, I was listening to him sing, and I'm like, that's his voice? That sounds very close to what Bing is singing.
2: Here's a little background. On a musical like this, everything would have been dubbed. They would have performed the songs in a studio and then had it dubbed over their lip-synced voices, or their their lip sync on the movie because there was, at the time, the technology wasn't there for the mics to pick up accurate vocal tone on the songs. So that's why Ben Crosby sounds so crisp.
1: So bang. That's why,
2: right, that's why, exactly. Yeah. And that's why Vera Allen, it was so easy to overdub Vera Allen, who couldn't sing. I mean, you see that all the time, because Julie Andrews, famously was the singer for audrey hepburn in my fair lady yeah i mean the uh, whole
1: era everything's overdubbed all right you can tell
2: yeah there are parts where you can a little bit that it's a very very hard thing to do and one of the reasons why like west side story won best picture because it's brilliantly overdubbed and it won technical awards for it because it's it's a very hard thing to do. It's a good way to start off the the section of the movie, but the funny part is when they get to the lodge and Bang and Danny find that that's the general, and Danny drops his stuff when he when the general he says Addie's. Addie's. Um, it's yeah, it's funny, and, and it's it's hard. It's got to be hard for the two guys because you know they looked up to the general and and they and they're in a position to help him out, so. It's a very generous thing that they do by bringing the cast. And that's one of the funniest lines in the movie. How much is this going to cost? Well, somewhere between boing and ouch.
0: Right. I kind of wish that we would have found out a little bit more about the general and how he treated his man. I know we get the Christmas thing and they sense the general on his way, but it sounds like he was so much more important than just that. If they're willing to kind of sacrifice a lot of money for this and sacrifice their time. And they made their whole show come up there to to do this for him. And it just sounds like you had to be a special kind of guy for this to happen.
2: You get that feeling from the beginning that he has actual care for his troops. And, and in World War II, that meant a lot because a lot of these guys are, their draftees. These are not guys who signed up for the army. I mean, a lot of them did, but Having a general that cares about you, there's two types of generals. There's the generals that actually care about the people that are underneath them, and then there's the George Patton types who instill fear. And it seems like that he's definitely on the, the side where that they cared for him, and he took care of them.
0: He has a lot of pride, though. You could tell that there, right. he's a very prideful man because he doesn't want a lot of fuss.
2: Me yeah, he's a he's a very 1930s 40s guy, military guy. He's a guy's guy. The man's man. Exactly. And <laughs> you know, one of the things in this section that I do want to touch on is we are saved a very 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 uncomfortable moment in this movie. Really? And it's in the it's in this section. Yes, because one of the first songs that they're testing out that they're doing the choreography and singing for, and they're showing the, the general is I want to go to a minstrel show. And mercifully, somebody got a hold of the director and told him that they're no longer doing blackface because Ben Crosby and Danny Kaye were supposed to be in blackface.
0: No, but for they this, weren't. For,
2: they weren't. And that's a huge step in the right direction because in Holiday Inn, they were they were in, they were in blackface. So yeah, the, that shows just how far—not a long period of time. That yeah, because Holiday Inn was 1942. Like ten years, that things had changed. The guy who did the choreography for this also did some of the choreography for, um, like Diamonds, op- the Marilyn Monroe movie, uh, Diamonds, Diamonds um, Forever, Diamonds were a Girl's Best never- Friend. Or no, it was gentlemen Prefer gentlemen. Gentlemen prefer, prefer blondes. Gentlemen prefer blondes. And you can really tell during the minstrel song show, or uh the minstrel song number, you can really, really tell that it was choreographed by the same person. Okay. Because even like Vera Allen walking down the the staircase mm-hmm. is almost identical. Identical to what Marilyn Monroe does. uh,
1: Yes, clearly. I know. I did notice that. I'm like.
2: Interestingly enough, Vera Allen's dance partner is actually a really famous dancer. And he actually won the Academy Award for playing Bernardo in West Side Story. Yes. And he barely gets hardly any notice here.
1: Any bill. Yeah. um,
2: Any bill. But there's actually three Oscar winners in the movie. General Waverly won an Oscar. Hit, uh, Dean Jagger, Ben Crosby. Wait, wait, and what, then... I,
1: did he win or was he nominated for sporting?
2: Bing was probably one for uh, singing, I'm sure. Oh,
1: Bing! I, you said
2: General yeah. Waverly. Yeah, General Waverly. He actually won an Oscar. Yeah, I thought he was um, just nominated.
0: All right, yeah, he and, won a best supporting actor for his role in Twelve O'Clock High.
2: That's right. And um, and then the guy who played Bernardo who's the dance partner for Vera Allen. Bernardo. Yeah, you can to- you can totally tell the guy who choreographed "Gentlemen Prefer Bonds really had a role here. It's one of those things that's obvious and it's funny because at the end of Blazing Saddles we talked about the fight goes into the um into the room where where everybody's dancing and it's a very similar type of a feel uh to what we see here.
0: Hey, is it just me, or has this end got one of the biggest, you know, stages um, <laughs> in the world? I huge. Mean, this thing I is know, huge. right? Yeah. I'm just watching them, like, rehearse and everything, and I'm like, and we're talking about that dance number where she, you know, kind of, like you just said, like the Meryl Monroe kind of come down. And I'm thinking, man, this thing is just a big, I mean, are you sure you're not on a soundstage? I think you are.
2: The aspect ratio is one of those things that is kind of, um, out the window it's kind of yeah, kind of uh, uh, it's, yeah. <laughs> because when they come down off because I'm I'm watching it now as we're recording and when the four main characters come down off of the stage the stage doesn't look that deep but when they're doing when they're doing the performances it's like a broadway theater stage right exactly it's yeah it's it's one of those weird aspect ratio things that um <laughs> I mean, it's one of those Victor things that you or Whatever
0: it's called, right?
2: Yeah, you yeah. forgive it because it's it's a Christmas movie, and it and you get all these people
0: that are on your play. You, they they they're supposed to have like this Christmas time off, and they all decide to come. I guess well, you're going to get paid. Pay
2: him, if they were he was going to pay them not only their base pay but an extra thousand dollars. Yeah, I wow.
0: Guess so. Think
1: about it, an extra grand. That's an that's extra grand a good in
2: 1954. That's yeah. probably like. 10, 15 grand. grand—it's
0: a lot of coin. But it's amazing that still you get everybody to, to show up. I mean, it is around well, Christmas. I, and I,
2: it sounds like Bing and Danny treat their crew really well, too. Oh, so.
1: clearly. Clearly. Yeah. Like Jay Leno. Like Taylor Swift.
0: So Yeah, like Taylor Swift. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's interesting that Waverly doesn't want to even run this in, though. He'd rather be back in the Army.
2: Of course. I mean, he's a general. It seemed like when he was being he was being pushed out when he was taken away from his troops. I mean, lifers like that who've risen to the rank of general—they're army lifers—and yeah. sometimes when they get out of the army, they have a hard time reacclimating back to civilian life. It's yeah. it's one of those things. I think it's got him down that endeavor here at the end is not is going as great as it should. So that probably plays a little bit. Oh, why, sure. Why do you
0: think? Why do you think he probably lost his um, command of his troops? Do You think they were forcing him out of retirement then? Because then that would aged. make sense.
1: But that wouldn't make the sense. That he tries. You notice to come he had the in. cane
0: too. But then he has to help Danny Kaye out when you know when he I takes know, injuries right? himself, right? Feats of strength. Yeah. Yeah. There's some things I don't understand. Like if he was kind of forced out of the army, how does he think he's going to get back in? About ten years later.
2: It would have been right during the Korean War. So I figured that they're still in need of people. But the war effort wasn't nearly as robust for the Korean War as it was for World War Two, of course. Oh, so boy. one of my
0: favorite supporting actresses here is Mary Wicks. She's uh, uh, probably for our younger audience, which would be our age basically still, uh, Sister Act. She <laughs> was in Sister Act. As that's um,
2: right. Yes. As one of
0: the nuns who originally the, conducted the, the choir originally. Yes. Right. So, right. Um, the old nun. Yes. Actually, one of my favorite films that she's in is called The Man Who Came to Dinner, where she plays a, a nurse. But she's a very uh, fun actress. And her um, interaction with the general is really needed here. Not only her interaction with the general, but just like her eavesdropping and things of that nature. And she gets excited when she hears about bringing everybody in to try to help with the inn, And she goes, what's a good housekeeper to do? I I listened in on the other side. She has Mm -hmm. some really great lines, and she's just a fun actress. I really enjoy her. It's a very small part, but when she's on screen, it it does make a difference.
2: I agree. She's funny, and she ironically plays a... A pretty integral role and part of the storyline. But if we're going to also to the music here for this section, this also has what would become the most commercially successful song to come out of this movie. <laughs> Not White Christmas. White Christmas, of course, is on a whole different level. But the Bing Crosby, Rosemary Clooney dream song, Counting Sheep, is probably one of my favorite songs in this whole movie. Counting Your Blessings and Counting Your sheep. Blessings, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's a great song and it's a nice Tony sheep. Tony
2: Sheep, you
0: know. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's something like that. That's something awesome. like that. Yeah,
0: it's awesome. Yeah. I agree with you. It's a great song. And it's and here is the one part where I actually feel like the chemistry is okay between the two as I buy mm-hmm. them. Outside of this section, I really don't buy them as a couple, but here I, I really do like them and it's probably because of how they sing together. Yeah. And, Again, you gotta love the when the setup between Judy and Phil trying to get them together, you know, trying to make it all work. Hey, you need to eat and things of that nature, and getting them to see each other at the same time. I love their schemes to try to make this work. But Betty's an interesting character. If anybody's cynical, it's probably Betty. When she kind of mentions that earlier in the first act of Bing Crosby's character being kind of like that, but she's. She doesn't trust people. She seems to have a mistrust here. You know, at the end of the first part of our movie, she's upset about him talking about angles. And then here, she feels like he's playing the angle to to better himself and automatically assumes the worst, but basically withdraws from Bob after this. She's a a weird character, but I think, I guess, if you're going to push the storyline along, you need somebody to have some misunderstanding in this movie.
2: Yeah, she takes it personally when she only hears part of the conversation between Bing Crosby and his friend from the Army, who just happens to be a stand-in for Ed Sullivan. And Bing's tr- trying to get himself onto the show to to get his the old Army unit back together for the general to raise his spirits and to let him know that he's remembered and still loved. And, you know, that's when the whole big misunderstanding of the movie comes into play, and that's that's what's going to drive the next whole section of the movie until the very end. I guess they needed it because there had to be some sort of a, a conflict that they had to overcome to get to the end. Well, there has I to be know. that
1: conflict because, you know, just like um, they were saying, they're clearly in love, you know, but right. at first, you know, they clearly like each other, but... Obviously, there's such a conflict that they don't like each other because of all the misunderstandings. And at the end, they love each other. So you you kind of have to have that kind of push and shove. That's like a staple for a Christmas love movie, if you will.
0: Because she sees that he has a heart because of the show that he's trying to put on at the end. So she should give him a little bit of a benefit of a doubt. Even the housekeeper is kind of alluding that it might not be that. She's kind of unsure, too. Is that she does know that she only got part of the conversation?
2: Yeah, yeah, she doesn't relay that to Betty, and that's kind of a crappy move. But and you um, figure
0: that later on, you know, the housekeeper figures it out because at the end she's on the plan. But we'll talk about that on Act Three.
2: This actually has um, Part Three. The part one part of the three. parts that I don't I don't care for, which is the choreography song. I don't know. It doesn't hit well for me. It, it seems very out of place. It not only seems out of place for uh, Wallace and Davis, it seems just kind of awkward. Which song know. are we talking about? Where Danny Kaye comes dressed out like the French guys? Oh, it's kind of like a it's beatnik co- song. Yes, yeah, a choreography. It, it, it does.
1: Yeah, it does seem very kind of like New York City. <laughs> avant- yeah, avant garde. Kind of like that. <laughs> it's cool. It's it's almost like West Side Story
2: a little bit. A yeah. little West Side Story-ish, yeah. It's just kind of weird. It's a it's little like, too risque for uh, Vermont, isn't it? Maybe a bit. It's just yeah. It's hard to tell are they making fun of the avant-garde and the new wave like the Fosse type of choreography and dancing? I don't know.
1: I don't I don't know. But they're but, but you got to admit though the choreography and the dancing is really good.
2: Oh yeah. Well, yeah, I mean it's, it's, it's absolutely stunning. It does and, seem out of place, but it is stunning absolutely. And one of the things that just blows my mind too is how Vera Allen, when she's tap dancing, and she is tapping her foot so fast, yes, on the ground, that blows my mind. Yeah, I love a dancer, sh-
1: not a good
0: singer. Yeah. When I think of that part, though, I, I, it reminds me of "Singing in the Rain." "Singing in the Rain" it has a, a flow to it. But then towards the end of Singing in the Rain, you get this thing called Broadway Melody, which kind of like is yeah. totally different from the whole movie. So I'm wondering if it's just kind of the the style from back then, because that movie came out in 19, 1952. And so right. so I'm wondering if it's just something that they're doing here in the 1950s. So
2: Possibly, I don't know.
0: It's
2: well, it is the though.
1: era for musicals. I mean, the 50s is the,
0: the heyday for musicals.
2: Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah.
0: And they probably wanted to give something special for Danny Kaye to to do. That's how I think about singing in the rain. It's kind of a a Gene Kelly by himself type of focus, and then maybe they just wanted to put some type of focus on Danny Kaye and give him the the spotlight for the section. So that's the only reason why I could think of why this is in here.
1: Yeah, I can I can agree with that. Let's roll. Scene three, part three.
0: Phil and Judy stage a phony engagement, thinking Betty's trying to avoid romance because she does not want to leave Judy unprotected. However, this backfires when Betty accepts a gig in New York and leaves. Phil and Judy admit the truth to Bob, who becomes enraged and hurries to New York to get Betty back. They partially reconcile, but Bob meets up with Harrison before he has a chance to find out what really was bothering her. Betty sees Bob go on Harrison's show and invite the entire 151st Division to secretly join him at Pine Tree to surprise General Ravery at Bob and Phil's expense. Realizing she was mistaken, Betty returns to Vermont just in time to be in the show. Once again, on Christmas Eve, the soldier surprised General Ravery with another rousing chorus of The Old Man, bringing him to tears. During the performance, Betty and Bob get back together, and Judy and Phil have become an item. As everyone sings, White Christmas, a thick snowfall at last, Blinkets, Vermont. And that's actually the end of the movie. Could, got Phil snow. Be any
1: more, yeah, could Phil be any more scared of marriage at the beginning of this?
0: <laughs> I like oh, that. He's, he's, yeah. he's like, oh, I don't know about the engagement. He was he was a little freaked mm. out, and she was, was really little. coming she was really coming on to him. Don't you, like, find me a check? Come
2: on. Yeah, she was She was yeah. playing hardball with him. I thought he was supposed to be attracted to her the whole time. That's what I thought, too.
0: Yeah.
2: I to me, it seems
0: a little awkward. I think he is, but I think he's got commitment issues. I think that's what his problem was. He wanted time to do his bachelor thing, and he couldn't do his bachelor thing because Bob is doing his – he's they were, keep on adding is being things. a
2: successful thing? Yeah, he's doing the successful thing.
0: Doesn't have time to even spend his own money. So I think he was trying to trying to do his own thing and play the field. I don't think he was ready for a relationship. That's why it's interesting because they have great chemistry together and he almost plays kind of like a fool who doesn't realize that he has something special
2: here. When he's putting up the the argument, it's almost like it seems almost out of character a little bit. And it's like you were supposed to be attracted to her. I don't know, it just always struck me as weird. It is really funny.
0: My biggest problem with all this, bringing them together as an item right at the end with nothing in between. So he's he's scared. Right. And they fake this engagement. Where does he find out that he is in love with her?
2: They kind of gloss that, that whole thing over. I mean, that's kind of what I'm saying, is because they build it up like he's, he's into her and that he really likes her a lot. Then he gets cold feet or whatever, and then he's back to, to liking her again. So it's it's one of those little inconsistencies. And, you know, and being that it was a rewrite, you makes you wonder exactly how much of the original was left over and if there was something that might have been cut or might have been left in that made it kind of different like that.
0: But, well, that comes back to the Donald O'Connor situation where, you know, maybe there are scenes with them dancing together that even elevate the chemistry ever even more. Possibly. I'm, I'm curious what the first draft might have looked like, but from what I they said, it was pretty crappy. what grabby. you said,
2: it sounded like it was a real, it was a real humdinger of a right of a of a turd. I'm glad it was rewritten because I mean I, I enjoy the movie. But is there
1: any way we um, can find out what the original uh, right was?
2: Uh, probably at this point, probably not. Oh. Uh. Sometimes they Probably. save some of
0: the stuff and you know they go up on auction and things of that nature. But I just yeah. don't know. I think it's interesting that the hundred first uh, division all watched the show of their of their buddy.
2: Well, it's the Ed Sullivan show. Ed, the Ed Sullivan show was the most popular show in America. I mean, sure. like every every household that had a TV tuned into the Ed Sullivan show. So still is, isn't it's, it? Yeah. Right. <laughs> they do keep it realistic like he he said us say he goes the guys that are stay that are that live on the east coast have a better shot of of being there right um it's not out of the realm of possibility that a whole lot of them would have been watching the ed harrison show right it's yeah, well, even the but, general
0: really wants to watch the show he's trying to do it, everything he well, exactly, can to watch see, the show
2: right that's why elvis Going on Ed Sullivan was so big, and that they filled him, filmed him from the waist down, doing oh. his dances uh, from the well, yeah, from the waist up. That would have been more interesting. <laughs> that would waist have been down, yeah, right? No, and, and I mean, and that's why it's so significant in the Beatles' history that they played on the Ed Sullivan show. Ed Sullivan is to the entire entertainment industry at this point, like Johnny Carson was to comedians in the eighties one good review from Ed Sullivan on his show and you're golden. You're, yeah. you're made essentially.
0: Curious how 1950s TV would have worked back then. I mean, I would imagine there was probably nothing on the TV probably throughout the whole day. There's not enough programming probably. That, no, there I'm would wondering... have been,
2: there would have been uh, soap operas. Yeah. That's, was what, there soap that's... in
0: 1953. Oh yeah.
2: And there was kids programming too in the mornings. TV was a lot different back then.
1: TV wasn't running twenty four hour. They would go right. They would right. go off the air like midnight or eleven or ten or whatever.
2: Yeah, after the news, generally it would go to test pattern. In the mornings, it would be like howdy doody and and things like that. It was almost ran like a PBS. Now, if you would have said that you had a problem with how they kept all of the army people from General Waverly. That are coming into his inn. That's one of the things that I have a question about. It's like, okay, it's a surprise, but hmm. all of these people are at the inn and they're all staying. Somebody had to check them all in. Are they are they so, paying full price too? Exactly, right. Yeah. So you know, it's that's kind of funny. Yeah, I'm sitting here watching this, and we're, I'm we're kind. Of, I'm in the third section here with us. You can really tell how thin Vera Allen is here. Oh, yeah. I know she suffered from anorexia, but she is really, really thin. I mean, she's got to be not even a size zero. She's a great
0: dancer, and it makes me cringe watching her legs because her legs are so thin that I'm afraid they're going to crack. Like, they're going to break into two with some of the things that she's doing.
1: Well, she retired from Hollywood in 1957.
0: Yeah, she only did one more movie after this, actually.
2: She plays the younger sister. She's actually older than Rosemary Clooney. No. (laughs) Yeah.
0: She looks a little bit older, I'm sorry to say. Going back to the stage performance, because we talked about that earlier, this is kind of really a big venue for an inn. And I'm sorry, but you're a Vermont inn. You're not an inn in in New York.
2: Yeah, it's like we were saying before, the aspect ratio gets all gets all discombobulated and, but the the most ironic thing is that the stage opens up I guess to the outside. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? And, How about and that? So they can so they can see the snow? So the horses you know, can come in, Right, exactly. And isn't it's, there like a it's, sleigh it's already
0: ho- or something like that oh, come, yeah. going by? Yeah, it's, it's ready. Like yeah. a, it's like they're ready
2: to go on a sleigh. It's very hokey. It definitely sets the mood. So we don't end up on a down note. The snow that they use (laughs) was actually asbestos. Beautiful. You know, I'm dreaming of a asbestos Christmas. So Really? It was it Um, was
1: it was asbestos in its worst form. Just like the ones I used to know. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, exactly. That is so That's poor
0: horses. I
2: I didn't wanna I didn't want us to end up on a on a downer note. So
0: (laughs) Here's the thing though. This movie seems to be rushed at the end. I mean I feel like it's like we have a nice pace going throughout the movie. And then all of a sudden, I think it's because we're getting close to two hours here. Yeah. It's yeah, all crammed it, up at the end here. You don't give any time to the romances here.
2: It, no, it, it does. They do um, breeze through this final section of the of the movie. And we really don't get to see Betty and, and Bob reconcile. I mean, the movie theaters would have balked had it been longer than two hours, because I think I can't remember how many hours is on one reel. I, they would have had to have changed the reel again. You want to kind of keep it under two hours. So that's why yeah, you drop really the did.
0: Danny Kay dance sequence and you give a little yeah. bit time to, to give those relationships. Cause this movie is basically based on those relationships and you basically crap on those relationships at the end. Maybe see each other before, the, the start of the special surprise him before they even start with the performance for the general something to just rekindle that romance. And then we, then then we could have uh, find out about Phil and Judy and you know, maybe they say some things to, to each other before the performance to make us think, Oh, they might be heading in that direction. So when they do kiss at the end, it makes sense. I don't like how it ends. I think it's, it's rushed. It's too forced for me at the end. I mean, I don't mind a happy ending and all the snow and all that other stuff, but you've been teasing us with these relationships, these two couples throughout the whole movie, and then you don't give them the the ending that they deserve.
2: Yeah, it's all sped up to get to the money shot, which the money shot is the snow uh, with singing "White Christmas," which there's nothing what... wrong with
0: that. I mean, it is cheesy, no, right? No. But there's nothing wrong with it, though.
2: Yeah, but it come it does come at the sacrifice of some of the story story elements that we've been talking about throughout the movie. I, it's one of those things that I can forgive
0: and not forget
2: here again. We're not looking for an Oscar nominated movie here. We're looking at a Christmas movie. It's a feel good movie. So, I mean, there, there are things that you have to go into and you have to forgive here and there, but yeah, no, I agree with you, Ken. Things are sacrificed.
1: Well, let's talk about our reviews on this one. Uh, I'll kick it off. Uh, White Christmas is one of my favorite holiday movies of all time. I watch it every year, and it never gets old. It's corny, it's hokey, but I love it. It's fun for the whole family. I give this movie a solid B. Ted, what are your thoughts?
2: I mean, what you said is just exactly what I was going to say. This is a movie that, like I say, I watch with my wife every year. Sometimes a couple of times, I have wanted to go down to the sing along down at the music box. Maybe that's something that uh, we can do together this year. That would, that would be fun. You and your
1: wife, pod,
2: not not us. Pod. Oh, you don't want uh, no, to go? No. Sing along to oh, my come no, on. Sorry. Don't be a party pooper. No, this this movie. It reminds me of childhood. It makes me it makes me smile. Makes me laugh at least a couple of times during the the movie, and still it's a solid B plus for me. It's, it's my second favorite Christmas movie or my third favorite Christmas movie behind Christmas Vacation and, um, bad Santa. and it's, it's a wonderful life.
1: Dude, don't diss bad Santa. It's a bad great Santa's movie. Awesome, it's too. an awesome movie. Bad Santa too sucks. Bad Santa rocks. Yeah. It sucks out loud. That's right. All right, Ken, it's... what are your thoughts?
0: I like this movie in general. It's, it's a fun movie. I like the songs. I like the performances. I think some of the romance type of situations is a little bit forced. And then, like I just said, at the end, it just doesn't pay off. And I think the fact that the ending doesn't give me the payoff that it deserves is disappointing. It's a movie that I'll watch again, but it's not my year-to-go film. So when it's time to watch Christmas films, White Christmas is not always on my list. So maybe every, every three to four years, I'll probably watch this movie in... So on that note, I'll give it a B.
2: I wish TNT would play this twenty four hours a day than that god awful Christmas story.
1: No, 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 no,
2: no. Oh, Christmas god, story. I, I mean,
1: we don't need to see it twenty four hours. I don't think you see need to see any movie twenty four hours oh, a day. God.
0: They should rotate like those types of movies in and out they every should. year it's yeah. a new twenty four hour movie.
1: Or maybe, you know, in december every you know day run one christmas movie all day that's keep... 24 hours there you yeah, go so. oh yeah but tnt run to be like nine minutes long it's not even worth watching
2: yeah so. no, they would have to cut too much out
1: too much <laughs> all right ted world wide web what's going on out there
2: well we can be found on x or twitter or that sounds dirty. whatever, whatever our uh Whatever our on Twitter is. or
0: X, which one of those sound dirty yeah. yeah. both
2: Whatever our evil overlord Elon Musk is uh, calling that now we can be found at hooked on underscore movies. Um, and we will be able to respond back to you. You can comment about what you think of White Christmas and how you like us. And of course, whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on, whether it be Apple, Spotify, Good pods, you know, wherever you can find us, we should be available. Leave us a five star rating and leave us a review. Tell us, leave us something funny. Say, you know, hey, these guys know what they're doing. Because the more reviews we get, maybe one day we'll become Rotten Tomatoes certified.
1: That would be funny if people said we knew what we were doing.
2: Yeah, I know, right? Thank you very
1: much. And speaking of
2: dark overloads, uh,
1: over over overlords,
2: overloads.
1: (laughs) Speaking of of dark, dark stop it. Speaking of dark overlords, Ken, Facebook, what's going on over there?
0: Hey, join us on our Facebook page, uh, Hooked on Movies. You subscribe to our our page, and you can be part of the conversation. We talk about the movies that we review. People bring up other type of movies that they like. It's a a fun conversation and we promise that we will respond if you respond to these posts. And also it will let you know what's, you know, coming up next. What's coming up next for our next episode? Well, we have another Christmas movie, but a little bit off the beaten path. It's the nineteen ninety-four movie The Ref, starring Dennis Leary. Can't
2: wait. Love Dennis Leary. Yes. Dennis Leary is hilarious.
1: So, everyone, thank you for joining us on this edition of uh, Hooked on Movies. Hope you're having a uh, happy holiday, Christmas, Kwanzaa, uh, Hanukkah season, whatever you ho, celebrate. Ho, ho, ho. ho, ho. Um, so what I'm thinking or uh, what I'm forgetting,
0: uh,
1: Festivus. Festivus. Yes, you cannot forget Festivus. about Festivus. Festivus my science for the print. rest of us. It, it my, sounds like a
0: disease. It You've is. Festivus. From,
1: you got Festivus. Oh, no. There's an ointment for that. So, for all my Seinfeld friends out there. So, as always, uh, thank you for uh, joining us and uh, thank you and have a
0: pleasant tomorrow.
2: Happy holidays, and I'll see you at the movies.
0: See you next time on Hooked On Movies.